Thank you guys for making Locked On Nationals your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. Everybody, do you know what day it is? We are three years removed from the Washington Nationals winning the World Series in Houston on October 30th, 2019. And so on today's show, we are going to reminisce on that season and really just how we got here to this point in 2022, finishing with the worst record in baseball. But first, we're going to start on a good note and reminisce on some good times, which was a team that brought us so much joy and meant so much to myself and as to why I sit here in this seat today. And that's probably why you're sitting at home or wherever you're listening, listening to this as well. So let's get into it. And why was that Nationals team so special to you and as well as me? I'll give you my answer right after this. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Again, thank you guys for tuning in today. This will be a fun show. I think this will be because this is really going to tie the knot for everything that we know now as Nationals fans. We all still think about 2019. We do. And it feels like yesterday, quite frankly. Or actually, it may not, just because there's a whole pandemic and everything. And let's just be honest. It's been a rough three years since that 2019 World Series. 2020, last in the division. 2021, last in the division. In 2022, we also finished last in the division, if you didn't know that. So it's been a tough time. But I'm going to get into that part later in this show and really how this all crumbled down for the Nationals and how we are sitting here today with the worst record in baseball after the 2022 season. But let's go back to 2019. Obviously, we all know mid-May, 19-31. and We're 19 and 31 in 2019. Davey Martinez is now basically a season and a half into his tenure after missing the playoffs in 2018 with a pretty loaded roster. Let's be honest. You had kind of the same core as 2019 minus Patrick Corbin. And you also had Bryce Harper on that team. And he eventually left in the free agency. And when he left everyone, I mean, that was kind of our prized possession. You could say at that point. He was our guy. He was that person that was going to get you on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. He was getting you in primetime games. He was kind of leading the way to the playoffs. Playoffs. And so that stung. That stung having Harper leave. And, you know, we all didn't really feel too much hope moving forward. It was all... We didn't really know what to expect. Because all our success that we've had with the Nationals in D.C. has been with Bryce Harper. So a lot of people were thinking that success was going to go right out the window, including me. Now, I thought we would be good. But in 2019, after he left, I was thinking it was going to be kind of a rough year. And it wasn't going to really be a rebuild year. That was a retool year in my mind. At least that's what I thought. I knew we could be good. We had a lot of pieces. Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto was emerging. There's a lot of good things. The pitching staff, obviously, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, 
Sean Doolittle coming out of the bullpen. We just signed Patrick Corbin, who is coming off the uh, really kind of a Cy Young kind of season in 2018. And so there was a lot to be happy about. And then really, once we got off to that slow start, everyone was calling for Davey's job. Everyone wanted Davey Martinez out of town. We were all convinced that he was going to be the issue. And it was going to, and you know, if you let go of your manager that early into his tenure, that kind of means that one, the team should be way better than they are, obviously. And two, it kind of provides is like a spark for the team in a sense, kind of similar to what happened this year with the Phillies releasing Joe Girardi and bringing in bench coach Rob Thompson to fill the role. And look what they've done. And so you get to that point of 2019, 19 and 31. You battle back. They keep on winning. And obviously the Braves were really good that year as well, who we were kind of chasing their tail the whole time, all season long. The Mets started off hot too, if you remember that. And so there's just, there wasn't much hope to begin the season. But then as we just kept on going, kept on clawing back into it, we eventually made that run in the second half and finished with the wild card. And we all know what happened then. Juan Soto, thank you again for the 2019 wild card game. We go through the Dodgers. We finally slay the Dragon with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we finally get past the National League Division Series for the first time ever as a Nationals organization. Then you get to the NLCS, and we just curb stomp the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's be honest. I look back, 2012, I was there for Game 5. I saw that epic collapse led by Drew Storm and the Nationals. I saw that. I witnessed that live and in person. And I was young, and it sucked. It stunk. My dad was waiting in line for NLCS tickets during that Game 5 at the advanced ticket sales <clears throat> over at Nationals Park. That's how confident he was. While he had his two sons waiting in the stands, we were just watching the game, and then all of a sudden it came crashing down. So really beating the Cardinals in that way that we did, they never led a single second that series. We swept them, obviously, four games out the door, and we just dominated. Max Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, those first two games were electric. Anibal Sanchez, I think he had a perfect game, if I remember correctly, going into the eighth inning. If it wasn't that, it was a no-hitter. Max Scherzer also had a no-hitter bid. Look, that was amazing. That was kind of another slaying the dragon moment. We couldn't get past the Dodgers, and we didn't get past the St. Louis Cardinals. And we did both those teams in one year. And so we get to the World Series. The Houston Astros, they have Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, that pitching staff, just in the whole, the team, Carlos Correa, George Springer, Jose Altuve, Yuli Gurriel. They were loaded, and they were the better team on paper. They were. They had the better roster, and they had the better players, and they even had a better pitching staff, better bullpen, obviously. And do they have the better manager? I don't know. I won't answer that because I'm a Davey Martinez guy. But then we're there. We're in the moment and we're in the World Series. And I still just can't really believe that. It's hard to grasp that we were once there. And now 
2019. Game one, obviously. We win that. Game two, win that as well. We're up 2-0 going home. And then we lose three straight games at home. And I was at all three of those games. I'm sure a lot of you listening were probably there as well. Crushing after losing game five to go down three to two in the World Series. And you're going back to Houston with two games. That was a tough pill to swallow, if you remember that. Just think about it. You're at the mountaintop up 2-0. You're coming back to your place, and you have you have to win two more games to win the World Series, and you have three games at home. We were all thinking we were going to see a celebration at home, especially if you won game three and go up 3 nothing. then you're just waiting at that moment. And so that doesn't happen. We lose all three of those games. It's three to two. We're going back to Houston. And also, I can't gloss over this. Game five. I think a lot of people sleep on this. Game five was supposed to be Max Scherzer's start. And what happens if Max Scherzer starts that game? Really? Do we... Obviously, we lost that either way. And Joe Ross had to step in and pitch that. And he did fine. I mean, when you're told two hours before the start that you're going to be starting a World Series game with a 2-2 tie in the series, and you're, hey, get out there, Charlie. <laughs> better better win the third game, man. Keep us in it. So I don't blame Joe Ross for that. Then game six, Steven Strasburg's on the hill. He starts tipping his pitches the first two innings. And Paul Menhart, our pitching coach at the time, Pulled him aside and had him fix his mechanics, fix something to where he was tipping his pitches. And what was that in particular? What was him tipping his pitch? Was he showing a, his glove at a weird angle to where he was showing his curveball? And it was different between his changeup and his fastball. Who knows? That's never came, became public in my, my sense, at least. But then... Let's fast forward to game seven, which was three years ago today. And I'm going to get right into that right after I tell you guys about my friend over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every game. So obviously today, guys, it's football Sunday. There's also a World Series game tomorrow night, but guess what? I'm going to place a big old parlay for this football Sunday. You match it all together, look up on all their analysts and analytics that they have behind these bets, and they're going to have you covered just like they have me covered. As always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sports wagering info with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. All right. We're in the game seven now of the World Series. And what a time was that. Let me tell you about this. So during that run, I was working for 106. I still am working for 106.7, the fan, by the way. But I was working there on the promotions team. And so I was lucky enough to be at every single home game, they're promoting 106.7 The Fan. And so, but when they were on the road, obviously I wasn't on the road with the team. That was obvious. And so, 
what I convinced myself of doing was that when we won game five of the World Series, I was actually home sick in bed. Game, not game five of the world. When we won game five in the NLDS of the Dodgers series, I convinced myself that if I'm in home, in my room, by myself, in bed, we're going to win. So I did that, the NLCS, for the first two games. We won those games. Obviously, I was at the games for game three and game four. And so guess what? Game one of the World Series, in bed at home. Game two of the World Series, in bed at home. Game three through five, obviously, I was at the game again. Game six, World Series. In my room, alone, in bed. We win. Game seven of the World Series, though. It was my friends and I. Obviously, my close friends were all huge Nationals fans. We grew up going together. And they're really the reason why we loved this game and why we played baseball growing up. It was because of the Nationals, because of Ryan Zimmerman and what that team did. And so we were like, we have to watch this together. We, we It's just, we have to. And I'm very superstitious, as you know. I've watched damn near the entire postseason from the comfort of my own bed because I was that superstitious about it. Is it weird? Yeah, you can make fun of it all you want, but it worked. And so Game 7 of the World Series... We're all over at my house, all over there in the basement, gathered around my tight knit group of friends, all decked out in Nationals gear, getting ready for Game 7 of the World Series. And then, and then, we get down early, one nothing, second inning. Yuli Gurriel hits that solo home run off uh, Max Scherzer, who at that point was kind of a game day decision on if he was going to be pitching or not. We all kind of found out in game six after he gave a little head nod over to the media who was watching him do a bullpen there. But really, we didn't really know what Max Scherzer we were going to get because this is someone who wasn't really going to tell you if he's feeling the pain. He was going to go through it and pitch with the pain. That's just who he is. He's kind of a psychopath when he's on the mound, as we all know. And so it's one nothing, bottom of the second inning. And then fast forward to the bottom of the fifth, it's 2 nothing, and it's not looking good. And so my friends and I are there. We're like, we got to switch up the mojo. We have to. What are we going to do to be able to switch this up? And so we make the hard decision to go to glory days, and we get there in the bottom of the sixth inning. And then the top of the seventh inning was when all hell broke loose, and Howie Kendrick hit that home run off the foul pole. Well, obviously, Rendon started that with his home run to over to left field, and that was to get us on the board. And we were down 2-1. to one. And That's when it was like, okay, we're getting the bats going. We're getting them going. And then they pull Zach Greinke. Do you remember that decision? Zach Greinke was mowing us down. And then once Rendon hit that home run, they, asked, they made the decision to pull him. And he was doing just fine. We couldn't hit him that day. But so they pulled him, and they went to Will Will Harris. I was going to say Will Smith. They went to Will Harris, who was the, one of their most reliable pieces out of the pen, someone who dominated that year, quite frankly. He was always good in the postseason. He was nails. And so they pull him. We all know what happened. 
Juan Soto draws the walk. Or was it Juan Soto? Hmm. But then, beside the point, Howie Kendrick comes up to the plate and hits that two-run home run off the right field foul pole to make it 3-2 Washington Nationals. And all of a sudden, we were back in it. We were had the lead. And that team that just kept on clawing back and coming back in it took the lead. Game 7 of the World Series. And the mojo completely switched out from there. Bottom of the seventh, Patrick Corbin. Nails. Gets through the inning. Top of the eighth again. We pat it with a Soto single to right that scored Adam Eaton. Four to two Nationals. Bottom eighth. Nails again from Corbin. Top nine. We add another two runs from an Eaton single that scored that scored Jan Gomes and Robles scored. And all hell broke loose. It was four or six to two at that point. And it seemed like the Nationals were well on their way to winning a World Series, and they got that done with Daniel Hudson shutting the door. What a team that was. What a, That team was, in my mind, one of the craziest outcomes in sports history. And obviously I'm biased. We're all Nationals fans, and we all get giddy for this team. But think about it. Everyone counted us out after Bryce Harper left. We all knew we had Juan Soto, Victor Robles coming up as well. We signed Patrick Corbin. We knew the pitching was going to be pretty good. But to think that we were going to win the World Series after losing one of the best players in baseball? No, that doesn't work like that. When you lose one of your best players, you're not supposed to win, right? That's kind of the point. And Patrick Corbin was a great signing, but he wasn't going to replace the impact that Bryce Harper had. At least that's what you thought. And so it's just still crazy to think about that that team climbed the mountaintop and really got there. And it feels, I I know I said it feels shorter than three years. It really just feels like yesterday. But in reality, if you think about the pandemic and what that did, it's a little longer than that, obviously. And also, the Astros, analytically, that in that game, they had an 88% chance of winning in the top of the seventh. They had an 88% chance of winning. They had all the momentum in the world. In the world. And so just think about that and how hard that was to overcome. All the number nerds that you're going to have to overcome, like myself, who were looking at that stuff and being like, we have no shot. We're going to lose this game now. And so it's just tough. It's tough to look back on that and now sit here where we are today and just, wow. Wow. Think about it. Think about what this team was. This was a team that was loaded, really, if you look at it. I know we all say that it was a team of destiny, and it really was. It truly was. But also, we had the pieces around it. We had we had four guys out of the bullpen that we knew that we could rely on in tight games, and we used them, and we used them effectively. Patrick Corbin. You look at Ranger Suarez right now with the Phillies and what he did in game one coming out of the bullpen. That's kind of what Patrick Corbin was to us. Three innings in game seven of the World Series out of the pen. Got the win. No runs. Had a couple of strikeouts as well. A couple of big strikeouts. And so it's just crazy to think about how we've 
become this bad. And it's sad. It really is. Because who would have expected it, really? Who would have? I didn't. After 2019, I thought that championship window was pushed for another five years. I thought we had Victor Robles, Trey Turner, Juan Soto. Steven Strasburg was going to be coming back on a new big contract. Max Scherzer, maybe even Anibal Sanchez would have gotten lucky and had a couple more years. That's what I thought. But obviously, that's not how it worked out. And I have five reasons for you as to why that didn't work out. And I'm going to get into that right after this. Thanks for making Locked On Nationals your first listen today. Now for your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. And so... Now we get into the, some of the reasons as to why the Nationals have fallen this far. And for so some of you who maybe don't really remember how bad it was, even in 2020, we were finished bottom of the barrel in that division as well. Or actually, we were tied with the Mets for last place in that division. We had a 26-34 and 34 record after winning the World Series. 2021, we all know what happened last year. We traded away Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, Daniel Hudson, and a lot of other core pieces to that team. Josh Harris and Jan, or Jan Gomes as well. I was thinking it was 2022 for a second. And then we finished 65 and 97 last year eventually. And this year, come 2022, the guy that we said we didn't re-sign all these pieces because we were going to sign Juan Soto. We all know what happened. We didn't sign Juan Soto. And we finished with the worst record in baseball, finishing with 107 losses and only 55 wins. Wow. Wow. Just think about that. 2019 world champs, you're thinking your championship window is just extended by a couple more years. Last in the division in 2020, 2021, and then 2022 as well. And that sucks. It sucks to think about. But again, I'll say it again. Those moves needed to happen. And they needed to happen quick. And the best time to do it was yesterday. And what I mean by that was the times where we did make these moves to where we traded Juan Soto, traded Turner, traded Scherzer, all those guys, let Rendon walk. It needed to happen. I say that because we weren't going to get the pieces back that we got in return if we waited even an extra offseason or an extra year for Trey Turner. Obviously, we let Rendon walk after 2019, but that was because we re-signed Steven Strasburg, which has now blown up in our face entirely. But obviously, Anthony Rendon, for those of you who maybe don't know, Anthony Rendon has struggled mightily in his three years with the, <laughs> with the LA Angels. He has not been up to par for what he was supposed to be in that Angels lineup. And you don't want to be the Angels. Look about it. I mean, look about it. What am I saying? Look at them. They have Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, and they still stick. They haven't made the playoffs since when? 2016, maybe? 
They haven't made the playoffs with Otani. They've only made the playoffs once with Mike Trout. Anthony Rendon has done nothing to help them. And that's because they haven't rebuilt their team. They haven't built up the farm system. They don't have pitching. They don't have a bullpen. They don't have the pieces around the core of Otani and Trout to make that championship or postseason run possible. And how do you get that going? I can tell you that right now. It's just a lack of depth in the farm system. And that's my number one issue with the Washington Nationals as we stand here in 2019 or in 2022 and think about 2019 and how we fell this far. Lack of depth in the farm. Mike Rizzo in the front office just didn't get it done in the draft after seamlessly really 2011 when we drafted Anthony Rendon or 2012 rather. We didn't get it done. We didn't put the pieces around them. We had obviously we had to trade away a lot of pieces as well to get the guys in place that we needed for a postseason run, like in 2012 when we're buying at the deadline, 2014, 2016, and 2017, and 2019 as well. When we're trading away a lot of pieces from the farm to get back end bullpen help. Traded away in 2017, we acquired Sean Doolittle, Ryan Madsen from the A's that were going to help up and really bulk up the bullpen to which we didn't really have at that time. We tried the Rafael Soriano experience, and we all know how that went. It blew up in our face, and he just wasn't the closer that he once was. We tried Mark Melanson. He was good for the one year. Then we had to trade him in 2018. He just couldn't hold down the fort. But Sean Doolittle was someone who was kind of there through thick and thin. 2017, 18, and 19 as well. And he was kind of the core of that bullpen that really held it all together. But we had to trade away a lot of pieces, and I do recognize that. Jesus Lazardo, someone we had to trade away who's kind of a high prospect. Lucas Giolito, a first-round pick from Harvard-Westlake High School. He was thought of to be a top-10 prospect in baseball if he could all just really put it all together, which, in my opinion, he just hasn't really done so far. But we had to trade him away for Adam Eaton. And, of course, other pieces as well. I could go through them, but I'm just not here for that, and we don't have enough time to do that because there's other issues to get forward to after this. We had an old team around the core. Think about it. I kind of wrote down this list before the show today. Anibal Sanchez in his late 30s. This is someone who we signed, and we didn't really have too high of expectations to him. We knew he was going to be a four or five starter. And he came through for us. He pitched really well. The first half of the 2019 season, he was god-awful. But that back half of 2019, damn good. And obviously, he pitched some meaningful postseason innings as well. Estrubal Cabrera, DFA'd by the Texas Rangers in the middle of August. Mike Rizzo knows him. He traded for him back in 2014. We picked him up. Estrubal Cabrera came in and was lights out. This is someone who was struggling mightily at the plate. He didn't, wasn't really known for his bat. He was kind of a wizard defensively over at shortstop, second base, or even third base, wherever you put him. We pick him up, and he plays a flawless second base, and he's hitting and getting big-time hits in general to eventually really just take over that second base spot. Howie Kendrick. Howie Kendrick was that bat that we could rely on in a pitch-hitting situation or come in and play – first base when Ryan Zimmerman couldn't 
He was going to play second base as well. You would put him in the outfield. He was kind of that utility player who could start four to five games a week. And obviously his bat that year was out of this world. He had some of his best career numbers that year, but he was getting old and we knew that. Kurt Suzuki holding it down behind the dish alongside with Jan Gomes. Those are two older guys. That was kind of the platoon that Rizzo has always wanted behind the plate. We never really have had a catcher to call our own besides now with K. Bear Ruiz. And so that was that platoon that we really relied on with that team. And that was, I think, a really slept on version of to as we were so successful in 2019, really, with the pitching staff. Sean Doolittle, someone I already kind of mentioned. He's, he was getting older at that point. And in 2019, if you remember, we used him so often that he kind of started to blow up in the second half of the season. And that wasn't really to his own fault. We just had no one else in the bullpen to help. And so that usage on his arm coming in and closed as high fastball, it just wasn't really effective anymore in the back end of 2019. Although he pitched some very meaningful innings in the postseason and did a great job. DC legend, of course. And then lastly, Mr. National, Ryan Zimmerman. Or not even lastly, there's someone else after this. Ryan Zimmerman, he was kind of wrapping up his career. He had a good year. Nothing special, but he was kind of the rock of that team. He was the mainstay. Mr. National, you have a question, you go to him. He was that trusted vet. And then really actually, there's two guys after this as well. Adam Eaton, who's getting there up in age. He had a couple bad injuries the year before. And then Gerardo Parra as well. Someone we picked up after being DFA'd. And he fit in just well, and we all know the impact that he had. So you look at that with the core, that's a lot of older guys that we had. And so was that team really meant to be winning sustainably? I still believe so, Yes. Because at that point, as I talk about the diminishing farm system, having to trade away assets, you also had two prospects that could have plugged in and played and could have done a good job. And those two high prospects were Carter Keeboom and Victor Robles. Carter Keeboom was a first-round pick. He He did pretty swimmingly throughout his time in the minor leagues. People were talking about him. He was someone to where... Hey, Anthony Rendon's going to walk, but we have this young guy, Carter Keyboom, who's going to come in, and we do think that he's going to be something special. Not something special, but he was going to come in and play a good third base, and he had a nice hit tool with a little bit of pop. And he was also still developing. He was young, drafted out of high school, first-round pick. He was someone to where this farm system in the front office, you can kind of point to him and be like, yeah, we have him coming up to replace Rendon. You weren't going to get the same production out of him from Rendon. But he was still someone that you could rely on. Still someone that you could say, yeah, he's a first-round pick. And when you're a first-round pick, you're expected to pan out. And that just hasn't so far. And then Victor Robles, one of the top international prospects in the signing class in the mid-2010s. Came in 2019. You saw it. He was good. Great defensively. He had a good bat even. But that's fallen off. And that's fallen off completely. And you really look at those two guys, 
And if they were to develop into what we thought they could have been, where would this Nationals team be right now? Would we be the worst in the MLB right now? The worst team, worst record, worst everything it feels like right now besides a farm system? Probably not. Would Juan Soto still be on this team? Yes. Would Trey Turner still be on this team? Yes. Would Max Scherzer still be on this team? Probably, I'd assume. Steven Strasburg? Yes. But he has some health issues, obviously, so we know that. But that makes a difference because this was something to where you, they thought they had guys. They thought they had some chickens in the pen, but they just didn't. And those two guys just haven't panned out. And I truly believe that if those two guys alone would have been able to just step it up and really just been a mainstay for this Nationals team, we would have been in a different position now because they played center field and third base. Those are two main positions to where we need production out of in today's game in the MLB. You need it. You need it. And we just aren't getting that, and we weren't going to get that. And then obviously, the obvious. Not re-signing Anthony Rendon, not extending Trey Turner, and trading away. Well, what am I saying? Trading away Trey Turner and as well as Max Scherzer. That was the catapult of this. That's when we knew that this was over. And if you still are living in that time, it's over. I'll confirm that for you now. It's done with, unfortunately. And so a lot has happened since 2019. But I still stay today, as I mentioned a couple days ago, when I was talking about Mike Rizzo's vision for this rebuild, I still believe in this front office and what they've done over the last year and a half and really rebuilding this farm system and getting to the point to where we were in 2012 when all of this started. It's something that really needed to happen. We need to replenish the farm system. We need to have guys to be able to put around the stars that we have. And obviously right now we're still in the process of creating those stars and getting those pieces around the stars to make it an effective ball club, get the bullpen right, starting pitching. And so there's a lot of different things as to why this Nationals team has fallen so far. But to me, it all just comes down to the farm system. You look at the Dodgers and why they're still good today. You can knock them all you want and say, oh, they have all the money in the world to spend. They do. But then they also back it up with the farm system where you can trade away a top 50 prospect with K. Bear Ruiz. And guess what? They had Diego Cartaya waiting in the pens as well. And look at him. He's now a top 10 prospect in baseball. Just because you're good doesn't mean you can't produce top prospects. Look at it. The Dodgers and the Yankees, they still, these clubs still do it. They still are able to produce these top 10 prospect types to where they'll be able to help Aaron Judge. They'll be able to help the core around Mookie Betts, Trey Turner now, and Freddie Freeman, Clayton Kirk, all of those guys. It all comes together. And really, when you don't have that and you don't have that production out of the farm system and really out of the front office, then it's all going to come crashing down. That's just the way it is. And so that's really the main focal point for me, that the farm system just didn't get it done. 
and we just juiced way too many of our top prospects, you could say, for win-now situations to where obviously that came and paid everything off in 2019 winning the World Series. But it does suck because we feel like we were robbed of what could have been an even longer championship window. And even sitting that here today, it sucks to say. Losing all those guys. 2018, you had Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon. All those guys. All gone. All of them. But we still have Victor Robles and Patrick Corbin. Thank God. So, uh, this is a fun episode at first. But like I said, it got a little dark at the end because it needed to. We had to talk about the fall because you don't really see it too much in baseball with how quickly the Washington Nationals did that. So thank you for making Locked On Nationals your first listen. Now for your next listen, check out the Locked On Nationals Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, everybody, I will talk to you on Tuesday. And enjoy some World Series baseball on Monday night. You'll hear from me again on Tuesday. I won't have an episode Monday, so I'll catch you guys then. Have a good one. Enjoy the day. Go Astros.